Please join me in prayer. Father, you are good. You are gracious, you are kind, you are loving. And in your word you say, this is how we know what love is. That you gave your one and only son. Thank you. So now as we open your word together, I pray that you would, you would speak in your word, through your word, pointing us to your son Jesus. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to love, hands and feet to obey. For you are good. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your singing this morning. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. This morning, you get to hear my favorite preacher. That's not Alistair Begg. It's not John Piper, not John MacArthur. I had the privilege for 18 years of my life of listening to my favorite preacher. Now, during many of those Sundays, I did not know he was my favorite preacher because he was the only preacher I really knew. But now it's a privilege and an honor to be able to introduce to you and for many of you to reintroduce to you my dad, Robert Fields, as he comes and opens God's word to us this morning. He owes me that for all the years I carried him. uh, These artificial knees that I've had for a few years don't always quite operate uh, the way they should, and I don't always trust them the way I should either. Well, it's wonderful for Eileen and I uh, to be in the Chicagoland area visiting family uh, over the uh, Thanksgiving uh, holiday. And so we've been able to spend a few days with uh, Kenneth and Joanna and uh, their family and to meet uh, our most uh, recent great-grandson. Oh, what a joke. I guess I said most recent. Our only great-grandson, all right? Uh, To meet uh, Wesley, the son of Joe and Elizabeth. And so uh, that's been a special uh, privilege for us. And then to just be able to share... Uh, in uh, our uh, service this morning uh, here in uh, your church, and my privilege to just open the Word of God with you. Now, uh, Kenneth was telling me that he normally preaches about 20 minutes, and uh... <laughs> now listen, we get to uh, listen to him via one of those uh, electronic devices I don't know what it is, if it's the iPad or the e-phone or the, uh, the, you know, I don't know really what it is. My wife takes care of all that, and we have the privilege of being able uh, to listen to him. Uh, have you ever heard from him uh, that last year he was 50 years old, <laughs> and this year he's 51 years old? You've heard that before, have you? Yeah, he has a, he has a tendency to play that for all it's worth. Uh, 22 years ago, playing volleyball, he broke his ankle. And if you do anything with him today physically, he'll say, you know, my ankle still, my ankle still bothers me, you know. It's, uh, 
uh, you know, I can't jump, I can't do this because of, my, uh, because of my ankle. Now, there's a lot of other stories I might be able to tell on him, uh, but uh, we'll have to maybe save that uh, for another time. What I want to do today is share the Word of God with you. I want you to turn to the Old Testament prophet Haggai, or Haggai, however you may pronounce it. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Or if it's easier, just go to the book of Malachi, the last Old Testament book, and come back a couple of books, all right? And uh, you'll find Haggai chapter 1. Now, I want to speak to you this morning uh, on uh, this subject, uh, our problem with proper priorities. Our problem with proper priorities, and really for us to understand what happens in Haggai chapter 1, we have to do, I trust, to do a real quick review of the background or the backdrop uh, to this prophetical book that we're looking at this morning. So uh, just bear with me, please, as I take you through. I trust that most of this will not be new for you, but just completely a review of really kind of Old Testament uh, history. I hope you realize that when you read through your Bible, if you start in the book of Genesis and read through the book of Esther, you realize that you have read all of the Old Testament history via years. That is, in those books, you have all of the years of the Old Testament history. You say, but Bob, what, what do you do with Job, Psalms, and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song, and all of the prophets? What do you do with them? They all fit back in. They all fit back into that time slot of Genesis through the book of Esther. So we're just simply going to take a look at a little bit of that uh, via review here this morning. It all begins with the call of Abram, or we know him as Abraham, in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. Then in Genesis 12 through 50, God really deals with a family. Oh, yes, it's an extended family. It's the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, all right? And you realize that when you come to Jacob and Joseph, you remember that Jacob brought his family, approximately seven people, down in the land of Egypt, where Joseph was somewhat the prime minister of the land because of the seven years of famine during that time. In the book of Exodus, the family becomes a nation in bondage in Egypt for some 430 years. They now are known as the nation of Israel because Jacob was renamed Israel. Then after those 430 years, God raises up Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, leads them through 40 years of wilderness wanderings, and brings them to the brink of the promised land. Then the reins of leadership are handed over to a man by the name of Joshua, who leads the nation of Israel into the land of Canaan. They settle there under the theocracy of Almighty God. God who had told them, if you will obey me, if you will walk with me, if you will follow me, if you will stay true to my word, I will bless you abundantly. And those were the promises that the nation of Israel had through the leaders of God as they entered the promised land to resettle it. Of course, you know, as I know, 
They did not completely obey God. They did not completely follow God. They left some of those nations in uh, the land of Canaan. They intermingled with them, intermarried with them, and a number of those nations uh, just caused the Israelites problem after problem after problem. Then after that time, we go to the book of Judges, and you know that God raised up 13 judges. Uh, during that period of time, Israel wanted to be like the other nations, and so they demanded of a man by the name of Samuel, Samuel, give us a king. Give us a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And so Samuel reluctantly, after he prayed and heard from God, there was King Saul. There was King David. There was King Solomon. The only three kings over the united kingdom of Israel. Because after Solomon, the nation of Israel is divided into the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom uh, known uh, uh, as Israel, sometimes referred to as Ephraim, with the capital city of Samaria. And then God raised up the southern kingdom of Judah with the capital city of Bethlehem. During the reign of the kings, God sent prophet after prophet to warn these two nations, Israel and Judah, of coming judgment because of their disobedience, because of their idolatry, because of their immorality. The northern kingdom with its approximately 20 to 21 kings, of which not one of them was a righteous king. Not one of the northern kingdom of Israel. They pay no heed to the prophet's warning, and so they are defeated. They are destroyed. They're carried away captive by Shalmaneser and Shennacherib, the kings of Assyria, in the year 722 B.C. Approximately 140 years later, in 586 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah is carried away captive by, you'll recognize the name, Nebuchadnezzar, and the Babylonians, and carried away into captivity for some 70 years. At the end of those 70 years, now the Medes and the Persians are reigning. And Cyrus the Mede, he allows or really kind of commissions Zerubbabel to lead the Jewish people back to Jerusalem. Back to Jerusalem. And the whole purpose is to rebuild the destroyed city of Jerusalem that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And then not only to rebuild the temple, but then under Later under, uh, let's see, Ezra, Nehemiah. So under Nehemiah, they're to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and then they're to restore worship. And so Cyrus has this, this time in his life when he allows the Jewish people to return to Jerusalem for those purposes. The Israelites come back to Jerusalem. They get busy in the work of God. They start to rebuild the temple. They lay the foundation of the temple. They rally the people together. The people surround the foundation. Some are weeping. Some are praising the Lord. The ones who are weeping are the ones who remember Solomon's temple and the magnificence of it. 
and they're weeping because this foundation of this new temple has no comparison to Solomon's temple. Those that are rejoicing are the younger generation who really knew nothing of Solomon's temple. So the Israelites lay that foundation, but they stop. They cease from finishing the job. And here's what you need to remember. When they cease from doing the work that God has called them to do, God raises up two Old Testament prophets by the name of Haggai and Zechariah. So when you come to those books in your Bible reading or in your Bible study, when you come to them, you'll realize those are the two prophets that God raised up to challenge the Israelites to finish the job that God had called them to do to rebuild the temple. And the problem was they suffered with this problem of having proper priorities in their life. And so when we review the Old Testament history, now notice this, I think it'll be on the screen for you. Just notice these thoughts. God declared His love for Israel. God declared His love for Israel. He took the initiative in His relationship with them. He delighted in them, desired to have that relationship with them. He delivered them over and over again. He deeded to them the promised land, the land of Canaan. And here I just must remind you that the promised land or the land of Canaan is an Old Testament picture of victorious Christian living. Don't take the promised land or the land of Canaan as an Old Testament picture of heaven. Don't use the analogy, well, God delivered the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage after 430 years, and God delivered them, and then God took them to the promised land, and the promised land is a picture of heaven. No, no, no. The promised land is a picture of victorious Christian living. When you, uh, when you read the Old Testament books that deal with the years that the children of Israel were in the promised land, you'll understand it's not an Old Testament picture of heaven. But God deeded them the promised land. God, did, God declared His Word and His will to them. He gave them an invitation if you will be obedient, if you'll follow my word, if you'll follow my will, I will bless you abundantly. And then God declined to overlook their sin. He called them a rebellious people. He called them adulterers and adulteresses. He called them on their idolatry and their immorality. And you just see that through the 39 Old Testament books that God has preserved for us. You know, folks, when you just think about those words that we just went through, God has done the same for us today. Let me just show it to you if I could, please, all right? When you know Jesus Christ as your Savior... When you are saved and born again the Bible way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and don't forget, to the glory of God alone. 
When you're saved the Bible way, when you come to a, a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, after all, isn't that what John talks about in John 1, 12? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Paul said it this way in Galatians three twenty six: For we are all the sons of God, now don't stop there, by faith in Christ Jesus. He also said in Ephesians 2, 1, and you has a made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So if we have that wonderful relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, if we've been gloriously, wonderfully delivered from our sin and God has freely given us the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins, I can say to you this morning, according to Revelation 1, 1, 5, unto him that loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, that that God has declared his love to us, hasn't he? He's declared his love. You know the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John, excuse me, Romans 5, 8, but God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. God declares his love for us. But God also delights in us. God delights to bless us. In Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and something we've done these last few days during this week of Thanksgiving, and forget not his benefits. Forget not his blessing. He delights in us. And then he has delivered us over and over and over again. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then what has he done for us? He has given us a deed. It's a deed to heaven. He has given us a deed to an inheritance. Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has... All right. I just reviewed those verses. All right. Who has, uh, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again into a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the death. Now listen, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you or for us who are kept by his power. Wow. That's the inheritance. That's the deed that God has given to us. And God has declared his word and his will to us. Joshua wrote it down in Joshua 1.8. But this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. And God doing all of those wonderful things for us, he as well has declined to overlook our sin. I want to give you a part of a verse that I trust maybe you'll commit to memory. 
Maybe you'll think about it. It's the, really the last part of Numbers 32, verse 23, where the Word of God says, but if you will not do so, if you will not do the will of God, if you will not be obedient, if you will not follow what God wants you to do, if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. Now here it is. And be sure your sin will find you out. What a sobering verse in the Word of God. And be sure your sin will find you out. And we have all of that Old Testament history that brings us now to the book of Haggai, where the children of Israel have returned from 70 years of bondage in Babylon. They have been commissioned to rebuild the temple, to restore worship. They began the work, and then it shut down. Then it stopped. Then it quit. And now God raises up Haggai. Notice what Haggai says in Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius, the king in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the house of the Lord should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O you, to dwell in your chiseled houses or your paneled houses? And this house, the temple of God, to lie waste? So now God is raising up this prophet Haggai, to deal with the Israelites on their problem with proper priorities when it comes to the work of God. Let me give it to you this way this morning, according to the notes I think may be in your bulletin. He calls them, first of all, to wake up. In verses 1 through 4, it's time for the nation of Israel to wake up. To wake up to what? Number one, to wake up to the truth. They need to be confronted with the truth. You are disobedient, Israel. You have not followed the word nor the will of God. And you are disobedient. You see that, especially in verse 2, where God often in the Old Testament refers to the nation of Israel as his people or my people. But notice what he does in verse 2. This people say, not my people, but this people Because they are disobedient. What's happened to them? Well, the same thing happened to the nation of Israel that happens to believers today. They got caught up in the thing called life. They got busy with their families. They got busy with their jobs. They got busy with other responsibilities in life. They got so busy that they ceased, they stopped doing the will of God in building the temple. Just like many Christians like us today who can become so busy with other things that we fail to do the Lord's business. We fail to do what God has called us to do. So they were disobedient, and when God's people are disobedient, what happens? God is displeased. He's displeased with these people in 
the city of Jerusalem with the foundation of the temple laid, but nothing is being done now. So they not only had to wake up to the truth, they had to wake up secondly to the time. It was time to finish the Lord's work. It was time for them to get their priorities right. It was time for them to understand that God has brought them back to Jerusalem for this specific purpose of rebuilding the temple, restoring worship, and then later rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And it's time to get back to doing what God has called us to do for them specifically. It was to get back to rebuild the temple. Aren't you so glad that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says what? Know you not that your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, you have, which is of God. You are not your own, for you are bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We're supposed to do what? We're supposed to glorify God. With what? Our bodies. What are our bodies? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. For when you and I trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit came to take His residence in our lives. And now our bodies are the temple of God. And God has called us to care for them. God has called us to use our bodies to bring honor and glory to Him. You see, the Israelites, they had plenty of time to work for themselves, and now God says, it's time for you to get back to working for the Lord. Paul said it somewhat like this in Ephesians 5, 16 and 17, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the Lord of the will, what the will of the Lord is. Redeeming the time in our life. In Romans 13, verse 11, Paul also wrote, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. It's time to do what, folks? Wake up! It's time for God's people to wake up! It's time for the church of God in 2022 to wake up! To what? The Word and the will of God. To do the work that God has called us to do so that He receives the honor, so that He receives the glory in what's happening in our lives and our work for the Lord Jesus. But Haggai just isn't sent to say, listen, it's time to wake up. He says, secondly, it's time to be shook up. It's time to be shook up. Look at verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider what you're doing in your life. Consider where you are in your life. Consider how you're serving God or serving yourselves. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but there is none warm. And he that earns wages, earns wages to put it to in a bag with holes. Then skip over to verse 9. You look for much, and lo, it 
came to little, and when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house that is waste, and you run every man doing his own thing. Well, that's my interpretation there. Into his own house, therefore the heaven over you is stayed, that is, stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground brings forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. It's not only time for you to wake up, it's time for you to be shook up that in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, there was no satisfaction. Just as in the lives of many Christians today who have gotten their focus off the Lord Jesus Christ, they become focused on themselves, their family, their business, their life, what's happening in their life, their vacations, where they're going, what they're going to do. But there's no satisfaction in their life. And that's what God is reminding the Israelites there is no satisfaction. You're working hard. God, God, God isn't saying they weren't hard workers. They most certainly were. He says you're working hard. You're working hard to provide food for your family and a place for your family. You are eating good. You are earning a good living. But the problem is you have neglected the most important thing. Yes, those things are important. But there's something far more important is being obedient to the Word of God and obedient to the will of God. There's no satisfaction is what God said in verses 5 and 6. And then in verses 9 through 11, He says, there's no supply. There's no supply. You see, you work hard and you bring your money home and it's like putting money in bags with holes in them and I blow upon it. And there's no supply. You say, but listen, preacher, I remember Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all of your need through Christ Jesus our Lord or in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, you need to realize that Philippians 4 is a promise given to obedient Christians who had sold themselves out to the word and the will of God and doing what God had asked them to do. And so God says, I will supply all of your need through Christ Jesus, our Lord. But here, the Israelites, they needed to be shook up. Because God can withhold his blessings from our lives. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your, your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. So Christian friend, we need to be careful. Our jobs, sometimes our families, our family activities, our vacations, our desire to do what here in America? To live the dream, right? I'm just living the dream. 
and putting God on a back burner. And God says you can go through your life working hard, working diligently, doing good things, really, but not keeping God first in your life. And so there's no satisfaction and there's no supply in your life. It's time to be what? Shook up. Wake up. Then in verses 7 and 8, he says it's time to go up. Look at them, please. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Here it is. Go up to the mountains, bring the wood, build the house. What's the house? It's the house of God. It's the temple. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, says the Lord. So God says it's time for you now, you who have woken up, you who've been shook up, now it's time for you to go up. And they are to go up the mountains and do two things. Number one, they are to bring the timber. Go to the mountain, get the timber, bring it back to Jerusalem, and build the temple. Go do what I called you to do. Go do what I brought you back from Babylon to do. Do the word and the will of God by completing the work of God at this time. And if you'll do that, what does God say will happen? God says there in verse 8 that he will be greatly pleased and I will take pleasure in it. And not only will he be pleased, but he would be glorified. And I will be glorified, says the Lord. You want God to be pleased with your life? You want God to be glorified in your life? Then wake up. It's time to do the work of God by following his word and doing his will. And to be shook up that if you say no, there's going to be no satisfaction. There's going to be no supply. So get up. Get up and go up to the mountain and do what God has called you to do. And he will be pleased and he will be glorified. And then God says, it's time to be, it's time to shape up. It's time to shape up. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, did what? Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. The nation of Israel needed to get their eyes off themselves, and off of their things and their desires and get their eyes on the Lord and the things of God. Isn't that what we're admonished to do in Hebrews chapter 12? After the first 11 chapters of Hebrews, where God has demonstrated his supremacy over all things, and especially in Hebrews chapter 11, where God raised up all of these heroes of the faith. Remember that? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Now don't miss it. By faith, they did something. It may say by faith, they believed God and they did something. 
So this idea floating around Christianity today, that if you preach something like that, uh, you are uh, preaching legalism, then I'd have to say Hebrews 11 is one of the most legalistic chapters in all the Bible. Because the people believed God and they did something about it. And then you come to Hebrews chapter 12, which says, Seeing we are compassed about with all of this great cloud of witnesses. What witnesses? The witnesses of chapter 11. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Doing what? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So it's time for you, Israel. It's time for the church of God in 2022. It's time for the people of God to shape up. Now, how did God get them to shape up? First of all, he used their problems. What problems? The problems of verses 5 and 6 and the problems of verses 9 through 11. There's no satisfaction. There's no supply in your life. And God used those problems to shape up his people. But he not only used their problems, he used their prophet. The prophet Haggai and later the prophet Zechariah. And God used them to shape up the people of God. And what was the result? The result was obeisance. There was reverence and respect for God. And the people got their eyes off of themselves and got their eyes back on the Lord and were renewed in their desire to do what God had called them to do. It wasn't just obeisance, though. It was obedience. It's time for us to be obedient. To be obedient. You remember the old song? Oh, we used to sing it sometimes. Trust and obey. Anybody remember that? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. God help us to be those kind of believers who not only have put their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation, but have learned to wake up, to be shook up, to go up, to shape up, and then number five, to be stirred up. To be stirred up in verse 13 and the first part of verse 14. I was trying to figure out, well, how else can you say that? How else can you say to be stirred up? How about this? Get fired up. Get fired up for the work of God, for the Word of God, for the will of God. And so that's just what happened to the nation of Israel. God fired up the spirit, first of all, of Haggai. Look at verse 13. Then spoke Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the first one who got fired up was the prophet. First one who got fired up was the preacher. The first one who got fired up was the leader. He got fired up for the word and will and the work of God. Notice with me, secondly, who got fired up, the first part of verse 14. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. So God not only uh, stirred up the spirit of the prophet, but he stirred up the priest. Stirred up the priest. I don't know how far you want to take the analogy, but there are a lot of churches today where preachers need to be stirred up. They need to be stirred up to the Word of God, to the will of God, and to the work of God. It's time the preachers forgot about being fearful for preaching the truth of the Word of God. They're more concerned about how many people are sitting in the pews or sitting in the chairs than they are being faithful to the Word of God. And God needs to stir up, and preachers need to be stirred up today to preach the Word of God. And then if you take the analogy and bring it down, hey, the same thing is true for the deacons. It's time for them to get stirred up and to provide the kind of leadership that God would want us to have to do the work of God. And Zerubbabel and Joshua, they got stirred up. And then look as well, the spirit in verse 14, the spirit of the remnant of the people. So the preacher got stirred up, the deacons got stirred up, and guess what happened? The people got stirred up. And God only knows the people in the pews today that need to get stirred up for the things of God. God help us. You people around this area, you can get stirred up and fired up for a team called either the Chicago Cubs or the Chicago White Sox. I don't understand that. And then some of you get, you get fired up for the Chicago Bears. Man, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Hallelujah. And this being a down year for the Packers, at least are assured of two victories because they play the Bears twice. And it's time. I want to tell you, folks, it's time for preachers and deacons and people to get stirred up. Now, listen to me carefully. Excitement for the things of God is not taught. Excitement for the things of God is caught. You catch it. You catch it. You see it in the lives of others. You hear it around the church. You hear it in the hallways. You hear it out in the foyer. You hear it out in the entrance. The people are excited about the things of God and what God is doing in their lives and in their families and in their homes. And God help us to get fired up or stirred up. And then finally, isn't that a wonderful word? <laughs> finally. So boy, we've been waiting for that one, preacher. And finally, number six was time for them to rise up. Last part of verse 14. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Let me read that again. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. 
So they rose up. Who was it? It was the people of God. It was the people who had this relationship with God. It was God's earthly people. They rose up. What did they raise up to? Three things. They rose up to the truth. They rose up to the truth that God blesses obedience, not disobedience. And there are far too many in the church of Jesus Christ today believing that somehow God is going to bless me, bless my marriage, bless my home, bless my family, bless my work, bless whatever I do, even though I am disobedient to His Word, His will, and His work. Not so. You need to rise up to the truth. God blesses obedience, not disobedience. We need to wake up to the time. Now's the time. Today is the day to look to the Lord, live for the Lord, labor for God. Now is the time. Today is the day. God help us to rise up to the truth, to the time, and thirdly, to the task. Finally, to the task, to do the work that God has called us to do, to love Him, to live for Him, to labor for Him, that others may see, according to Matthew 5, 16, our good works, and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So the Apostle Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of rejoicing. It's laid up for me. God has it for me. Because I fought a good fight. I've, come, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith that God has promised to him a crown of rejoicing, and not to him only, but unto all of us who love his appearing, who are anxious for Christ to come back. But until he does, we're going to commit, commit ourselves, commit ourselves to his word, to his will, and to his work. So just like Israel of old, folks, it's time for us to wake up. It is time for us to be shook up. It's time for us to go up. It's time for us to shape up. It's time for us to be stirred up. And it's time for us to rise up. Because if we fail to do that, as God speaks to us through His Word, we are going to continue to struggle with the problem of proper priorities. And we'll go through life with little satisfaction, little supply, not bringing God the glory and the honor that's due His name. Now, in order for that to happen, of course, first of all, you need to be saved. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, you need to be saved. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Behold, today is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. And God 
help you today if you're not saved. To see that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And the only person who can do that for you is the Lord Jesus Christ. And my dear Christian friend, God help us. Church of Jesus Christ today is burdened with apathy, burdened with lethargy, no excitement for the things of God, no excitement for the Word of God, the will of God, the work of God. And may God stir us up. And in our personal lives, in our family lives, in our home life, and in our church life, may that be true to the glory of God. Father, thanking you for this wonderful illustration out of the Old Testament and that little book of Haggai. Bring these truths home to us today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.